My name is Harry. My name is Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Yes, welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. We did our Resident Evil Apocalypse episodes to mark the release of Resident Evil 2 mm. Remake video game. But when was that? A few months? A few years? January, I think. <laughs> Gosh, it seems like a hundred years ago. This film has an interesting concept of time, because uh, Resident Evil Extinction starts with Alice saying... Slowly but surely, the world began to wither and die. But then halfway through the film, they say it's been five years. <laughs> it seems like a very quick wither and die of the, of the entire planet. Yeah, for a whole planet to wither mm. and die, five years seems pretty speedy. Pretty extreme. So uh, yeah, we'll do a bit of a, uh, a recap, an R-E-cap. Yes, I think we should call that every time that we do a Resident Evil movie now, we'll do a quick R-E-cap to talk about what's happening in the world of Biohazard. And yes, since Resident Evil 2 came out, I have enjoyed playing that. Tying in slightly to our review of The Lawnmower Man, did you see how there's a mod which turns the tyrant, what's he called, Mr. X, into Pennywise? Yes. Pennywise slowly follows you. And... Also, you can make him Thomas the Tank Engine for some reason Oh, naturally. As well. <laughs> I mean, much like how you put Doom onto any bit of tech nowadays, like a calculator or a fax machine, you have to be able to mod Thomas in there. <laughs> Thomas, perhaps, is one of the most terrifying cinematic creations in existence. A sort of sentient train with some sort of unknowable internal organ set up. <laughs> sentient machinery is always a bit disturbing. Hmm. Um, I don't think... Have we done Sentient Machines? Oh, of course, Red Queen. I was saying, is there Sentient Machines in Resident Evil? Oh, yes, sort of a major character. Is she, though? She's more software than hardware. Mm. But, yes, I have enjoyed the Resident Evil 2 remake. I think the original maybe still holds a certain place because of the memories associated with it. Mm -hmm. This is definitely a slicker, cooler, fancier product, but maybe some of the horror has been removed. Maybe you're just more it. grown up. Yeah, maybe the, I'm the a big old, boy now. Maybe you're don't, a big boy. <laughs> I don't need to sob and cry when something scary happens. You're not wearing Velcro shoes today, I notice. <laughs> you can tie hey. your own laces. Hey, that was a recent development and I'm very proud. Mm. I myself, um, I got Resident Evil 4 on the Switch, which is one of my favourite ever games. And it was the original in a GameCube was released around about the time of Resident Evil 3 or just after. I know it was name-checked by Paul W.S. Anderson in a making-of we were just watching. So Yeah, I was on the Resident Evil Extinction commentary. He mentions how the games and the films started to bleed into each other around mm. about this time and how, in, for instance, Resident Evil 4, Leon encounters a laser corridor. Yeah. And he mentioned that in the commentary. I bet that gave him an actual hard-on. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing Resident Evil 4. It's like, oh, I've done it. I've done it. 
Thanks, Capcom. Mila, Mila, he shouts into the next room. What? <laughs> come look, come look, see. Oh, shit, it's a quick time event. I can't stop. He doesn't save, that's the problem. Oh, that scene you ripped off from Cube is yeah. in Resident Evil 4. No, it isn't. It's my mm. invention. I did it. I did laser corridors. I mean, this is quite a self-referential Resident Evil movie as well. There's quite a lot of callbacks to the first film. In fact, apart from the presence of... Uh, the characters Carlos and LJ, it kind of seems to want to ignore Resident <laughs> Evil 2, which is, makes me sad. Yeah, uh, well, I think we mentioned in our conversation with Luke on episode 40 how these films tend to ignore the events mm-hmm. or at least quickly shoo away the events of the film that directly precedes it as swiftly as possible to move on to some other new uh, activity. Maybe he took the advice of Rafiki the baboon from The Lion King to heart. And he says, don't live in the past. <laughs> or is that The Last Jedi? <laughs> or I guess so. Moving on. <laughs> I guess the other big slice of news in the uh, RE cap is Project Resistance. Oh, yeah. Which is a freshly announced four versus one asymmetric multiplayer game in which... Uh, a team of four people play as plucky survivors in an umbrella underground facility, while someone else plays as the mastermind mm-hmm. who gets to initiate booby traps and place zombies and other bioorganic weapons in different locations to stop them from escaping and even control a Mr. X or a tyrant at some point as well. And it's been met with sneers. From the fan base, but I think the Resident Evil brand and name is big enough and strong enough for them to experiment yeah. with different styles, and they've done that since the get-go. Yeah, I, I think there's plenty more stories to be told in the Resident Evil universe, but the master... What is he called? The Mastermind? I think he's the Mastermind. The Master... <laughs> I hope that's what he calls himself. It sounds like the Mastermind could probably get the same result if he just got a gun. <laughs> and just shot those people. That wouldn't be testing their bioorganic weapon facilities. No. It's not about just, oh, should I kill them? Mm, okay. I go, I'll just shoot them. I need to look into the science of this a bit more. <laughs> I mean, scientists do it all the time. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Set up booby traps for all the rabbits that they're doing cosmetics on. I've never really played an asymmetrical multiplayer game. I, I was, I'm a massive fan of the Left 4 Dead film films left for dead games and it was possible to play those in that sort of a way where where some people played the human survivors and some people played the zombies but it just doesn't seem as much fun to me um but i guess there's things like is it dead by daylight and mm. the friday the 13th game mm-hmm. i think those are you know, interesting seams in which to plonk resident evil on and actually zombie U on the Wii U had quite a good asymmetric multiplayer in the sense that one person had the Wii U gamepad mm-hmm. and they'd have a map of a level and they could plonk zombies in different locations and the other person looking at the TV screen would have to fend them off and shoot them. And it was quite good fun, actually. Played that a few times. I can just imagine a zombie movie trying to adapt asymmetrical uh multiplayer and this person will be walking through a corridor and then a zombie just spawns in front of it it's like whoa <laughs> well i don't know asymmetric film experiences might be something because people freaking watch their 
phones while they're at the cinema anyway, you might as well add a second screen portion to it. So mm-hmm. somewhat, you know, you're watching the big screen and then you can see something else going on, like in 24 when they did split screen mode. Well, considering that 3D films seem to be dying a death after a valiant but a foolhardy attempt to return to cinemas, I don't think your asymmetrical screen idea is going to work. I think the reason why 3D is dying is because people can't look at their phones while they're wearing 3D that's, glasses. That's a very good point. <laughs> Maybe they can do augmented reality films on Google Glass where you leave the next Resident Evil film and there's zombies in the street chasing you, <laughs> chasing you out. So let's talk about Resident Evil Extinction. So I know the title. It is still, as we, I think we mentioned last time, it's so confusing how the post-apocalyptic Resident Evil film is not called Resident Evil Apocalypse. And I know, I know post This film is literally post-apocalypse because it is mm. the film after Resident Evil Apocalypse. So yes. any way you slice it, we're talking post-apocalypse. Yes. So I maybe slightly laying my cards on the table about this movie. I feel it's a very medium movie. I felt it was quite average and there's not much to get excited about. At the same time, it changed the course of the Resident Evil franchise because every, is in terms of films, because every single film after this has to deal with this crazy decision to make it an apocalypse. Everything is the after the end of the world. Spoilers for Resident Evil <laughs> Extinction. <laughs> yes. I mean, in an alternate universe, Resident Evil Apocalypse ends with our heroes driving off in the car and they just have a variety of more adventures and in different cities, different places, but always under the surface of the city and, and, and the populace at large just being aware of the situation. But for some reason they decided to say, no, everyone was affected by T-Virus, everyone died. And I don't know if they had... It seems crazy how they... they it, doesn't, it seems like the sort of decision you would make if you had any real desire to make more movies. Mm. But this film ends, as always, with a massive cliffhanger. And I just I just would love to know that... The, I'd love to be in the writer's room or, more accurately, Paul W.S. Anderson's study <laughs> <laughs> and be like, I'm, I'm just going to make this the end of the world. Based on the commentary, so... I, I saw this at the cinema. I haven't watched it since, I don't think. I think the same here, actually. Apart from when you did your back-to-back marathon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I watched it at the cinema, and I watched this this time on DVD, but with commentary uh, track as well. And the way they go about it is that they conceive this as a trilogy of films, and that the first film would be very much a prequel to the games. The second film would be very much involved within the world of the games Mm -hmm. during the events of Resident Evil 2 and 3, predominantly. And this would be a postscript to the games. So... It doesn't seem like that. (laughs) It doesn't seem like that, but it's very, very postscript. That's the thing. As you say, five years difference between the events of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3. And it reminded me a little bit of how there's a bit of a jump between Lawnmower Man and Lawnmower Man 2. How suddenly Apocalypse has happened, how suddenly mm-hmm. Dystopia has happened. I think the problem was, is that with this film, they could have gotten away with it by just saying, over in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Because just... it does take place in desert states. You know, they're in Nevada. There mm. is a reason why there's nothing around. But the problem is, is that their opening 
salvo is that it's affected the whole world and has spread to the whole world and it's affected the ecosystem and everything is withering and dying. Mm. And if they'd just been like, no, they're just in the desert, you know, you can have the virus spreading throughout the world. But when they start getting to situations where like Las Vegas is covered in sand and again in the commentary they sort of justify this by saying, oh, you know, but sandstorms happen all the time and actually in Las Vegas they clear everything up with a brush when it gets five or six, you could yeah, be five or six feet deep. bizarrely, I believe that, that science was legit. I, I, think I didn't have a problem with that. I think everything's drawn from it, but the thing is it's playing in this post-apocalyptic sandbox <laughs> and it sort of... Yeah, it just, as you say, it puts the franchise into a direction which it's very hard for them to then pedal back from. I think it's compounded by the fact that the Umbrella Corporation still tries to keep the light burning for capitalism in the basement of this underground, of this desert base. And it's the the it's never comfortably answered. And for God's sake, I'm not going to pretend that capitalism knows what it's doing <laughs> but it's um i was listening very closely i don't think they mentioned anything like st- stockholders and stuff but like i could imagine there's lines like oh, our stockholders are very angry also dead <laughs> the umbrella corporation thought they'd contained the infection well they were wrong raccoon city was just the beginning within weeks the t-virus had consumed the united states within months the world. The virus didn't just wipe out human life. Lakes and rivers dried up, forests became deserts, and whole continents were reduced to nothing more than barren wastelands. Slowly but surely, the earth began to wither and die. Certainly, the the post-apocalyptic angle does make them very much their own thing. But I think the decision to do this kind of film was largely because Paul W.S. Anderson wanted to make a post-apocalyptic movie Mm. and he mentions things like Mad Max and The Road Warrior and... His Mad Max influence is is very subtle, but it is there (laughs) in in this film. Uh, There hadn't been a sort of big screen, big budget, post-apocalyptic... I say big budget, there was 45 million budget, so sort of medium budget. But there hadn't really been a film in this sort of area... For a while, I think. So he's justified in trying to make this. It was still another, you know, seven years or something before Mad Max Fury Road. I was going to say, I think perhaps history would be kinder to this film if Fury Road didn't come along. (laughs) I read an article on the website io9 by the writer Rob Bricken, which says that it's a... he, He said it's a miracle that Fury Road exists. And how old is George Miller? He's in his 70s? 70s at least, He made the most exciting and propulsive woke <laughs> uh action movie and you know uh it's just it's just crazy that that film exists and it's just so good and um i had a real crisis because i think mad max 2 is one of my favorite films ever and i just have to hold my hands up and say this new film is better <laughs> Well, speaking of 80s directors... Speaking of 80s directors... So, mm. Paul W. Sanderson, he also did not direct this one, as with Apocalypse, he didn't direct, uh, because at the time he was committed to Death Race, which... Yes, I actually film quite, I loved. I, well, well, the I original. Actually, I actually quite like his remake, it's quite fun. Is that the one where, to prove he didn't murder people, 
he murders a lot of people. Yeah, but it's all part of a televised competitive mm. sport, so it's fine. I don't think I've watched... I think that's actually a film I gave up on. <laughs> but you're telling me it was good. I think it's one of his better films. Mm. But he was committed to that, but apparently then the schedules actually didn't overlap as much, so he was effectively on set pretty much the whole time mm-hmm. for this film. Uh, but the actual director is Russell Mulcahy, and mm. he is probably best known for Highlander. Yes, which is currently in my top five films. I Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, Letterboxd only gives you four films. Oh, gosh, Letterboxd. It gives you f- your four films to choose as your, as your defining films on your profile. And I can't believe it's four, not five. It's really frustrating. So I do have a, an 80s action-y favourite, and currently it's Highlander. Um, I fully acknowledge it's not the greatest film ever made. And I would happily welcome a remake. I think it's a, co- a juicy concept that could absolutely have good sword fighting in it <laughs> and maybe a rocking track from Muse, perhaps. Like, Because yeah. what, what makes Highlander so great is when you've got Queen playing, when you've got Brian May riffing over a Scottish battlefield from the past. <laughs> Not those modern Scottish battlefields. And it seems like all the other films, all the other sequels, A, are redundant because there can be only one, and B, they don't have that Rock and Queen soundtrack. Um, and I did read that, uh, that they've been trying to do a remake of Highlander for years, and it was revealed that a step forward has been done because they've got great ideas for franchise potential. And it's a story which requires a definitive end. There can be only one. Maybe they'll just upgrade it so the remake is like, there can only be 10. <laughs> Maybe. But I have to admit, despite him, by, despite, despite being d- d- the director of my favourite ever movies, I d- I'm not really aware of any of his other films. W- apart from Queen music videos, which I know he did, what else has he done? Well, his debut feature was Razorback, which was a killer pig movie. Okay. Uh, set in Australian outback. And... He mentioned on the commentary that he used to subscribe to Fangoria and things. So hmm. he's maybe not best known for horror necessarily, but he has dabbled in, in that stuff. But he's probably best known before his feature films for music videos. Hmm. I think he's a, he was an interesting choice, although uh, it turns out as well that he fell ill during the shooting because of the intense heat and everything. Hmm. So he was off set for about a week and... Paul W. Sanderson, of course, stepped in to take over I guess when uh, you, shooting you, during that time. When you've got a dicky tummy, I think the last thing you want to be looking at is like gross zombies <laughs> with like their pus coming out and be like... Bleh, bleh, bleh. But no, I, I, I mean, I did register that he was directing this. So as a Highlander fan, I was like, oh, interested. So I think actually, I believe that was the why I went to see the film. Not because it was Resident Evil, but because this director who directed one of my favourite ever films, was had something on the big screen and I wanted to see it. So, shall we get stuck into the film proper? <laughs> yes. I'm looking at the front cover of Resident Evil Extinction and Alice, played by Mia Jovovich, is walking away from Las Vegas and behind her are a heck of a lot of birds and she's holding an Uzi. I don't think... Does she ever use a Uzi in... Use an Uzi? Does he use an Uzi? I don't think so. Uh, the newspaper quote says a rock and roll ride of a blockbuster. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, four stars from News of the World. I 
News of the World has been closed now, hasn't yes, it? Yes, it no longer exists. No longer exists. Due to public outcry over their score for Resident Evil Extinction. I, I believe that's the case. I mean, Hugh Grant was uh, was in court saying, <laughs> I believe they gave four stars to Resident Evil Extinction. If that's a mark of a newspaper which has mm. terrible tactics and deceit, then... I mean, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? So, the back of the box... Mila Jovovich is on the back of the box as well. She is. She on the side as well. She is. She is thrice on the. <laughs> appropriately enough, she is on the box three times. Resident Evil Three. Wow. The star of the movie is on the DVD box. Mm. <laughs> I know. Mila uh, Jovovich is back in the third chapter of the hugely successful Resident Evil franchise. This action-packed horror film is set in the Nevada desert and filled with intense special effects and more zombie terror. Las Vegas means fun in the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Las Vegas means fun in the sun. Well, at least the sun is still there. That is actually hilarious. Oh... I've read so we've read so many DVD boxes, but this is the first one where the guy's having a bit of fun with the old concept. Las Vegas means fun in the sun. Well, at least the sun is still out, except for a few rusting landmarks. It looks pretty much like the rest of the desert, or the whole country for that matter. <laughs> this is real. Yes. <laughs> the crowds are now flesh-eating zombies. The mass undead, the oozing, terrifying sludge of what remains. Here, the newly upgraded Alice, along with her crew, Oded Fair, Mike Epps, Ari Larter, Ashanti. Uh, <laughs> that sounded like I was doing um, sort of a, a pagan spell. Um, <laughs> Oded Farah, Mike Epps, Ari Larter, Ashanti. Uh, will make a final stand against evil with one goal, to turn the undead dead again. That is more... That was a journey. That that, uh, suggests a film which is far more fun Mm. and far more Las Vegas-centric. They're in Las Vegas for all of 15 minutes, if that. Mm. They might be underneath Las Vegas for a bit. Not they, really. You know how Las Vegas has the like stratosphere hotel, like the the needle, the space needle. If they should have been an underground, under inverted space needle. How do you know there isn't? The oh, counterbalance of the stratosphere. They beat. They built an equal it's, one underground. Is to... that how they build cities? Like they, <laughs> they they mirror them beneath. Yeah, it's about weight and gravity and something. I'm sure something like it's that. How yeah. buildings stay upright. Yeah, so actually that was quite an entertaining um, <laughs> DVD box. Um, the film itself... Maybe News of the World gave it four stars. Yeah, that's, that's, they, that's uh, a rating of the box, <laughs> <laughs> not the film. That's how ratings work. Sorry about this, Stevie. It really is the end of the world. What happened to it? Guess you must have taken it back. We lost half of the convoy. Pretty soon there'll be more of us dead than alive. Okay, spread out. Look for anything of use. Gas, food, ammo. You know the drill. What's going on? 
and feeding on infected flesh. My senses have detected Alice. Her powers appear to have grown at a geometric rate. I can have a strike team ready within the hour. Everyone is scared. Good thing we like a challenge. Make sure she's dead. I'm coming for you. Shut her down. Oh. We fought the infection. We survived the apocalypse. And now, we face extinction. Yeah, so Resident Evil Extinction, bit of an odd movie. Again, we are a podcast who celebrates video game movies, so I'm going to do my best to celebrate this. I do have things I like in this film, but as I mentioned earlier, I think it's a sort of a middle-of-the-road entry of Resident Evil, which I suppose is ironic because we spend a lot of time on the road. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess the thing which makes it distinctive amongst the others is the setting mm. and the fact that... It does quite deliberately, like, Apocalypse was very much set at night time throughout the whole film, mm-hmm. by and large. And this is very much in the daytime for most oh, of it. And yeah. I think there, there is contrast between the stuff that takes place in the desert and the stuff that takes place in the lab. But really this is about the daylight, yeah, desert heat, and I think that gives it an interesting look. And it's sort of how... We mentioned with the games and films bleeding into each other, it's interesting that this DVD also contains a trailer for the Resident Evil 5 game, Mm. which I think the trailer for that sort of debuted around the time of the movie and how that's set in uh, Africa. And the whole point of that was like, oh, it can still be scary in the daylight and you can go into a space which will be darker than the outside and you'll have the light kind of creeping in and things and that will give it an atmosphere of its own. But... Largely, it's set during a sort of daylight, scorching sun and heat. And I guess it does give it a flavour which um, stands out. A different flavour, yes. But uh, maybe my least favourite flavour in the quality street box <laughs> of <laughs> Resident the, Evil films. <laughs> this is the coconut chocolate of the Resident Evil the to- movies? The Toffee Penny, surely. Are you Toffee Penny? Mm. Does, Those does always this film get, get stuck in your teeth? <laughs> get stuck in my teeth. Um, stuck in your crawl. It's been well established, if you've listened to our Sands of Time episode, our Prince of Persia episode, that I'm not a fan of Sandy movies. And there's a whole <laughs> heap of sand in this goddamn film. I think this is a kind of ugly movie. I... Uh, this must be the time where they discovered filters as well, as in like digital filters, because the whole film has this yellow tang to it. I did notice all the women look exceedingly fresh. I felt like they might have touched up Mila Jovovich in this she film. Definitely has a taste of the airbrush hmm. in some parts, I'm sure. Five years in the desert. It's like that whole thing on the TV show Lost, where all the women had magically self-shaving armpits. Jeannie seems as fresh as a daisy. Well, the film kicks off Mm. with a very interesting reprise Mm -hmm. of scenes from the first movie. The idea wrong-footing you into thinking that they're playing the wrong damn movie or you got the wrong DVD. Yes, I remember 
shouting at the screen, what have I put on? <laughs> Resident Evil 1. And I took out the disc, examined it. So, no, it's... And then I called CEX, where I got this DVD from. I was like, you've given me the wrong disc. <laughs> but no, I watched it a li- I watched it one minute more. Turns out... <laughs> turns out it's not Resident Evil 1 I'm watching. <laughs> it was Resident Evil Extinction. It was Resident Evil Extinction. But yes. yeah, it does wrong foot you. It's a bit of a mystery. A mysterious recreation of Resident Evil 1 I've written here. Yeah, because Alice Mila Jovovich is going through locations from the first film and she goes into the laser room, but then it slightly, you know, changes mm. what's happening. and it Laser tur- slices a bit of a boot off. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And she uh, then goes through a corridor and a big blade shoots out, a big yeah. blade booby trap. Killer hospital. There was no sanitary um, gel to wipe your hands <laughs> <laughs> in that place. Yes. Um, but... Unlike most hospitals, this also had some sort of crazy machine gun drone thing which shot her in the tummy. <laughs> and it's like, pulling off his uh, hazmat helmet, uh, Dr. Isaacs, played by Ian Glenn, he's like, oh, my clone of Alice didn't know to look for a machine gun popping out randomly from the floor. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> Next Alice I make, yes. I'll make sure that she's aware of mines. Hmm. Yes, it turns out that this is a clone of Alice, and we... Is it 87? Um, it's in yeah. the 80s. It's in the 80s, mm. and um, the dead body is taken by a bunch of guards up to the surface. They have a sort of secret hatch in a, in a lab, which is a table which splits in two, which always <laughs> seems to me like the stupidest way to yeah. hide a lab, because there'd be an obvious join. And even mm. later on in the film, when real Alice appears, it just opens automatically anyway. So no, you think is it fooling? I know. it's like So this hidden door bisects a table to open. And if you ever wanted to move that table, like you had guests or something, <laughs> you couldn't because it's fixed to the fucking floor. But uh, yes, they dump her body and we have a shot of all the different previous... Freshly... At least 80 Alices. Dead Alice clones all in a big trench. A couple of questions then. One, if this is a trench of about 80 dead Alices, um, none of them are like rotting. They're all like fresh. So they've... He's, he's either got through 80 Alices in one day. <laughs> <laughs> or there's something in the DNA of these Alices um, that stops them from rotting, which is, I guess, kind of useful. Or even just baking in the heat. Mm, uh, two, um... If this, if if this Alice, the Alice we watch get killed, is like the latest and smartest Alice. God knows what Alice Clone One was like. <laughs> it's like walking around, banging, you know, pushing, pushing on the pool door for like a full twenty minutes, <laughs> and before Isaac sort of sheepishly opens it for her from the other side, <laughs> and he sort of guides her around. She walk, a laser appears, and she just walks into it because, like a, a moth to a to a flame. Also, um, they're all dressed in the iconic red outfit from Resident Evil One, and I guess in the in the first film, I thought it just was an outfit, but clearly that it's part of the scientific formula. And it also suggests, amongst this big cloning facility, they have like an endless wardrobe of mm. red dresses. I'm down to my last red dress designs because they all get um. Hey, umbrella! I need more funding for Project Alice. <laughs> oh, what for clones? No more dresses. Yes, you've spent two billion dollars on dresses <laughs> and boots and accessories. Um, but hey, it's an interesting sequence. <laughs> um, 
So we, uh, the camera pans out from this trench of uh, Alice's uh, ally and um, Alice's Alice's to reveal a whole mass of zombies against a very fragile-looking chain-link fence. Very thin. And I think this is also the moment when we as the audience discover, oh, that bomb, that nuclear bomb from Resident Evil 2 did nout. Um, the virus is still... Apparently it's wiped out water, <laughs> amongst <laughs> other things. So it's, what is, uh, what's Alice doing of herself nowadays? The real Alice mm. is... I guess some sort of motorbike nomad. Mm-hmm. She's driving around, I think, looking for where survivors might be and looking for, I guess... I don't know what the fuck she's doing in this film because Alice has always been quite an interesting character. In the first one, she's working out who she is. In the second one, I guess she's kind of doing that, but she's definitely a we-got-to-get-out-of-the-city sort of uh, leader. In this one, she's just kind of driving around and we learn she's doing it to avoid satellites because she's being she knows she's being tracked but she's quite an inert character and she seems entirely secondary to our human heroes don't you think uh to an extent i think she is very much a vehicle for the film to carry us to different places i mean yes she is being trapped by Umbrella, she is the goal of the villains to find mm. her. But she lets her go at the end of the second film. Yeah, but I think we're <laughs> well. I bet Doctor Isaac's really regrets doing that in hindsight. It, yeah, it kind of doesn't make sense because he's spending the whole film trying to track her down, mm. and he needs the real Alice and, and pleading, yet... pleading with his superior. It's like, oh, I need to get Alice. Give me more time to find Alice. Didn't you like let Alice go? Yes. <laughs> I thought she was like a carrier pigeon and she'd come back. Mm. She was also murderizing literally everyone in the building, so I probably would have let her go. Yeah. I, I guess it was maybe a little bit the fact that they he thought that he could control her, but the fact that she's dodging all the satellites now mm. and she's clued up on that because apparently she swiped the data and hacked into an umbrella facility so she knows... Oh, she, yeah, she mentions that. ...to avoid tracking. We never see that. I don't think we still have really a handle on who Alice is as a character, even in this film. And I don't think we ever really do. <laughs> hmm. I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll put a pin in that, perhaps. I we'll mean, c- We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Yeah, we'll, more we'll, check in, we'll, yeah, we'll check in each film and I mean, see whether we care. I guess I, I say, I feel like, I say she's a nurse. And I say she's kind of pointless in this film because her major introduction is her, there's a whole sequence where she... Um, receives a radio signal from uh, somebody in distress and she goes to this radio station in the desert and it turns out it's, um, I've written here, it's occupied by Mad Maxes um, because in the fi- in the five years since the apocalypse, everyone's gone full, like, the road and they capture her. There's this really icky bit where she's about to be sexually assaulted and... I know Resident Evil films are like ostensibly horror movies, but I think the 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 threat of rape crosses a line that these silly, goofy Resident Evil films should not really stray into. I think it's just sort of path of a course in a post-apocalyptic movie. You've got to have a bunch of evil survivors as mm-hmm. well as regular ones, and that's what The Walking Dead's 
stock and trade is pretty much yeah. ad infinitum. In a nutshell, this sequence is completely redundant. It doesn't have any story purpose. She gets she she escapes. There's a brief sequence when she's trapped down in a pit with zombie dogs. Released from cages, and I did wonder how these uh, Mad Maxes got these zombie dogs back into the cages once they've killed a victim. I don't know. Maybe they just haven't had a chance. No, and... You know, there's nothing wrong with an action sequence for action's sake, but the action is pretty poor and pretty boring in this. And she does end up killing these people, or they, they she lets them die. She lets them get ripped apart by their own dogs. And then that's the end of the scene. And um, f- f- there's going to be light spoilers for the Resident Evil, the final chapter here. There's a very similar sequence at the start of Resident Evil, the final chapter. But in this sequence... It could could be completely lifted out, and we it would be exactly the same. She just carries on her on her bike adventure. Later on, she has a similar sequence where she goes to a gas station, which is a sort of perennial favorite, I think, in zombie movies and mm-hmm. and such. And even the new Resident Evil Two remake game that actually starts in a gas station. There's a little bit where you're creeping around, you know, the aisles and going into the back room, and then attacked by zombies there. And again, she finds this diary and it gives her an indication of where the survivors should be heading and such. But it's just we need to have another sequence where she creeps around and do like mm-hmm. traditional horror zombie stuff. And it's just a bit redundant. It does strike me as slightly strange that she decides for her new course of action, her new direction in life is to follow the diary of somebody who'd hung themselves in despair in a gas station and i know i know it is brought up by some of our heroes is this just a pipe dream but it seems like pretty flagrantly a bad idea <laughs> but hey ho i'll take my cues from someone who decided to top themselves because mm-hmm. they clearly knew what they wanted to do with their lives yeah let's talk then about the other survivors mm-hmm. in this film uh, the convoy led by Claire Redfield. Yeah, I was going to say, correction, it identifies as Claire Redfield's convoy, which seems very big-headed of Claire. She wants to make it very clear as her idea. She's in charge. <laughs> I know, but can you imagine, like, when the roundtable meetings where they say, oh, the convoy needs to do this, and she goes, ah, 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 Claire Redfield's convoy. <laughs> <laughs> Claire just... Redfield TM. Yeah, exactly. What is the point of Claire Redfield if she is not looking for her brother, Chris, it seems this is a, another example of of a Resident Evil game character just plopped right in here. There's no reason for her to be Claire Redfield, really, is there? No, not necessarily. I think in an earlier version of this film, she was indeed looking for Chris. That was the purpose. Maybe he's in the desert. <laughs> the whole convoy is looking for one bloke. Well, I guess we'll go to future films to see mm. how it all connects and ties in but Claire Redfield is a fan favorite character most notably uh, making her first appearance in Resident Evil 2 Mm -hmm. she is the sister of Chris Redfield one of the main characters in Resident Evil 1 Uh, she and she makes other appearances in Code Veronica and she's played by one of the few actors I recognized because was this was this was this post heroes I think it was Circa Heroes. It didn't make me think about Heroes again, which uh, I had mixed feelings about. I think it came out around about the time that 
Heroes had debuted. She was never really my particular favourite character in Heroes, and she's all right in this. I mean, again, I guess... Well, I liked her in The Final Destination... Oh, God, that's where I mostly know her from. One. She's in Final Destination 1 and 2. Spoilers for Final Destination. Spoilers for 3. Four, five, six, one. Yes, she's leaving this convoy. Uh, Redfield's convoy. Yeah. And uh, it's introduced there in a variety of vehicles, and they're introduced with the uh, sound of Inner Garda de Vida by Iron Butterfly mm-hmm. uh, playing on the soundtrack, which I think, uh, is this the first proper needle drop that we've had? I mean, speaking of the music, I was not in the mood to watch this film when I started, but... Hearing the propulsive Resident Evil theme, if you want to call it that, the yeah, it's, it got me in the mood. It's not identical to the original theme, no. but it definitely no echoes Manson. it. No Marilyn Manson this time. No, but it is uh, Charlie Clouser, mm-hmm. who is possibly better known as uh, having worked a lot with Nine Inch Nails, okay. as uh, doing keyboards, and also for Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie. So he's so been he involved must have with... Them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More so than the second film, yeah, which was a bit more crunchy guitars and action-led. I think this film tries its best to marry at least the sort of tone of the first film through the music. Mm-hmm. But also, bizarrely, in this convoy, we got two characters from Resident Evil Apocalypse. We got good old Carlos and uh, good, question mark, (laughs) (laughs) old uh, LJ. The weird thing is that Alice is is constantly listening into their radio chatter. So she's kind of following this convoy, but avoiding being tracked by the Umbrella satellites... So I'm assuming it's not a crazy coincidence that this one convoy also has people she used to be besties with. I'm assuming she is following this convoy because her besties are there. Maybe. Maybe the the Carlos and LJ left Alice after she killed Jill Valentine (laughs) and the child from the second one. Well, I did look up the novelization of Resident Evil Extinction oh, mm. does explain their fate. And on Goodreads, the reviewers of that novelization are like, oh, finally, I can't believe I had to look at a book to find out what Ooh. happened to Jill and Angela Ashford from the other movie. And I'm just like, well, you care too much. Yeah, <laughs> you so care too much. <laughs> what happened, I'm especially interested into, into what happened to Angela Ashford, the little girl. What's she doing? I don't know. I didn't read it. Oh, okay. I guess I better check out that novelization. Uh, also, in the convoy, we have a bunch of new characters as well. We have probably most pertinent to our podcast, Cowboy Chase, played by Lyndon Ashby, aka Mortal Kombat's Johnny Cage. Yay! It's sad that he gets barely anything to do. Yeah, but you know what? He he dies in a rather brutal fashion. He he is atop Las Vegas's version of the Eiffel Tower, and he falls to his death, splatters on the on the metal. And I thought to myself, "This is the part you fall down," uh-huh. <laughs> which is from Mortal Kombat. Uh, also, we have Ashanti, mm-hmm. singer predominantly, 
but here making an acting appearance as Nurse Betty. I think her most significant role prior to this was playing Dorothy in The Muppets Wizard of Oz. Has she done anything since Resident Evil? Bits, bits and pieces, I think. She's now in bits and pieces. Doesn't her character <laughs> get killed off? Yes. Mm. I think, was, it, was she torn apart by crows? Yeah, sort of in one of those unnecessary sacrifices where she could have gotten out, but she decided to just... I don't know, fend off the crows mm. by becoming bird food. Buy them literally no extra time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she doesn't know that. She eats bird food now. Yeah. And then there's a couple of other characters. There's Kmart, who's like a sort of plucky young teen. Mm. And uh, the bus driver of the school bus, apparently his character's called Otto. Oh, that's fun. Which I guess was a Simpsons reference. Mm. But it'd be weird if they <laughs> if they just called him Otto and didn't didn't know the reference. It's a coincidence. Also, is a common name. There's a palindrome you won't be hearing for a long time. <laughs> they, they, Alice eventually intersects with this group during a massive attack from, uh, not the band, <laughs> but a massive attack from uh, boss-eyed zombie crows who have been feeding off corpses. Uh, I did like the look of the crows when you could see close-ups of them. Yeah, they're crazy and, eyes. And it's quite effective when they're... At, Attacking people and the camera works shaking and it's all with a bit of a blur. But um, there's no escaping the fact that when there's when there's lots of CGI crows in the sky, it looks kind of poo. <laughs> yeah, it's not the there's some nicest looking sequence. No, and it's a shame because this is I guess this is kind of the big sequence. I mean, it's on the DVD box, isn't it? That. Yeah, it weren't it weren't just birds, it was a murder of crows. Mm, murdering. And you know, crows are su- a significant part of the early Resident Evil games, definitely, you know. It's uh they were those annoying enemies you had to sort of almost point vertically up to shoot mm. with the heart. I, I I did actually notice um at one the crows attack and they've put up these sensors around the camp for intruders and, and the crows helpfully fly at sensor level. <laughs> to yeah. to trigger them, otherwise the sensors would seem pointless. <laughs> the bit when I mean it's an obvious lift homage rip off of Hitchcock's The Birds, but the bit when the birds are all just sat there on the um, telegraph poles and things for a moment is a little bit creepy. Like everyone's just shooting into this massive cloud of crows. <laughs> You've got a limited supply of bullets, and you think, I'm going to shoot that particular crow. Maybe it's the head crow. It might be. If you kill the head crow, all the crows will die instantly. Phony. I guess these, these are meant to be action films. They build themselves as horror movies, so they are kind of action films, really. And the action's not particularly great. Alice appears, and using her telekinetic powers, in case you've forgotten she got telekinesis in the last film... Um, she uses her telekinetic powers to cause a flamethrower to burn all the crows. Well, there's a flamethrower turret out of control mm. spinning around. And I suppose she fights them. guess it sort of, with it's... her telekinetic powers, creates some sort of fireball which mm. blasts them out of the I mean, sky. That, I think the image of um, her beneath a sky of fire is, is pretty fucking metal. I like that. <laughs> but there are, it's just that this bit is 45 minutes into the film. It's actually the aftermath. They're all looking at crosses of all the fallen. 
um, post crow attack, and I, I just wrote in my notes, "How much longer is this fucking film?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's like the plot properly kicks off forty five minutes in. There's um, it's just a meandering around the desert with no direction until Alice finally decides to show up. Yeah, like she could have been with the convoy from the get go. She only shows up because she telekinesis her telekinesis is her bike to death um yeah. in a dream sequence or well, she was dreaming she I has don't. a she has a telekinetic nightmare which causes her all the rocks and her motorbike to mm. lift into the sky and then crash mm. down when she wakes up i hope she doesn't have any of more of those with the convoy that like she wakes up <laughs> and she's ex- you know she's like burst the head of carlos <laughs> <laughs> So Alice finally meets Claire and catches up with Carlos and sort of explains that the reason why she had to leave them uh, behind was because, you know, they'd be safer without her around because she knew that... Someone who could that control umbre- fire of her mind. <laughs> well, she knew that Umbrella could track her and, and such. And she passes on to Claire the information about the diary that she found mm-hmm. uh, suggesting that Alaska could be a potential safe haven of survivors and uh, the convoy votes to head in that direction and I guess actually they've been going around the fucking desert for about <laughs> you know quite some time now we've, we've, uh, we've gone past that sign saying Salt Lake City like 200 times <laughs> they're, they're sick of Salt Lake City they want to go to Vegas they go to Vegas to um, fill up because they, they, they need some fuel to get to Alaska don't they so Meanwhile, oh, I was wondering when we're going to talk about. Meanwhile, we're we going. Yes. To, are we going to talk about the scientists now? I think so. I think it's here about comes time. the science bit. Concentrate. I do feel that Doctor Isaacs is the only interesting character in this film because <laughs> he's the only one of a clear motivation. Ish. He um he he wants an evil motivation, but I mean, a clear one. This is actually also just the plot of Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead, the third George A. Romero movie set in the world where zombies have completely taken over and in the basement of the, the planet, <laughs> underground I should say, um, a scientist is trying to domesticate a, a zombie, a specifically one called Bub. And in this film we have Dr. Isaacs who, well I think he wants us to, he's, he's trying to not domesticate. You, you continue. You finish my sentence. So Dr. Isaacs is leading Project Alice. He was at the end of Resident Evil Apocalypse. So his plan is to use these clones of the original Alice because she has got special powers. So he is extracting the blood from these clones and sticking it into zombies uh, in the hope that he can restore their intelligence and curb their hunger for flesh and domesticate them so they can become not fully reformed, but at least a docile workforce. So Mm. they can retake the world because they anticipate that they could be trapped underground due to the zombie threat for decades to come. What news of Project Alice? Using antibodies from her blood, I will develop a serum that will not just combat the effects of the T-virus, but potentially reverse it giving back these creatures a measure of their intelligence, their memories, thus curbing their hunger for flesh. And you're confident you can domesticate them? They're animals, essentially. We can train them. If we can take away their baser instincts, 
They'll never be human, but would provide the basis for a docile workforce. We can return to the surface. After months of experiments, you have nothing to show, and we are left to rot underground. Without the original projectile, his progress has been difficult. I've been forced to replicate it using clone genetic models. It's laborious. The results, unpredictable. Project Alice, the subject of domestication, is of the highest priority. Hmm. Do you think he actually wanted to make an army of clowns? <laughs> and then he sort of... Project Clowns. Project Clowns. <laughs> yeah, we need some entertainment down here. No TV stations anymore. There are some question marks mm. about his plan. Um, it's a bit wishy-washy. He's creating these super undead zombies. Mm-hmm. And there's one scene where he's injected one with DNA and it's can understand phones and knows what a camera is and starts doing block puzzles. I'm sure you snorted when they brought out a 2003 flip phone and you're like, uh, <laughs> you can't even get an app on that. Uh. I think there's a bit when he finishes using the phone and then takes a photo with a camera. It's like, uh, cameras? No one uses cameras in 2019, do they? At one point, the super zombie tries to fit a block in this kid's block matching puzzle. He tries to fit a round peg into a square hole, much like this film franchise. (laughs) (laughs) And this infuriates him so much that Mm -hmm. he kills a bunch of scientists. Well, he breaks his chains, but I did wonder if the drug made them stronger, because he breaks those chains quite easily. It does seem like a very peculiar side effect, and maybe intentional, but... Why make them super intelligent and super strong? I think he's just covering all his bases. These are either going to be extremely docile workforce or killing machines. <laughs> and he just it's just one line of um, code he just needs to change. You just don't know who's going to turn up to work tomorrow. <laughs> I think it's better to have a terrifying mutant super soldier and not need it. Then need one and not have it. <laughs> or maybe he's just got a whole lot of block puzzles to do. <laughs> and he hasn't got the time. He's just got like a whole toddler's playroom mm. filled with puzzles mm. and little slidey things. Mm. Oh, he hates redundancy and he can't he can't face a kid's playroom without anything playing in it. Um that CGI map of the underground lab, it's mostly a crash. <laughs> <laughs> He just got it's just empty rooms with no sounds of laughter. Yeah. Well, he does have a little child companion in the shape of the White Queen. But she can't play anything. She she just stands there being creepy and and making him feel inferior. But what she does have is the ability to detect psionic activity. So despite all these clones, what Dr. Isaacs really needs is the real Alice... The White Queen detects when Alice is doing telekinetic psychic energy and therefore tries to pinpoint her location. I think and... the White Queen does this because she's bored. <laughs> um, <laughs> is this telekinesis stuff then, which Alice has an, an intended side effect? Who really knows? knows? I think part of it is... Taken from the games by this point, games like Code Veronica had introduced more telekinetic psychic abilities. 
this film sort of takes that and runs with it, and it's never been my favourite thing. It doesn't make it particularly engaging. And as the series goes on, it sort of flip-flops between films where she has powers, films where she doesn't have powers, and films which give her powers of an amaze- and then tell you afterwards that that was all a joke. <laughs> <laughs> which genuinely happens. Uh, so yeah, he he's on the quest to find Alice, and um, he takes this news to Chairman Wesker of the Umbrella Corporation. Chairman Wesker. Albert Wesker makes his first appearance. And I really don't like this version of Wesker. No. Badly acted, out of character from the guy we know because he Wesker is always a subordinate at the at the start at least it seemed very weird he was the chairman of the whole umbrella corporation but I wouldn't mind that so much if, if this actor is just crap like I said I feel that Dr Isaacs was the most engaging guy um I just I just wanted him <laughs> I just wanted him to do well um, <laughs> I wanted him to succeed in his evil quest. Yeah, he was. You say evil. He's just he's just trying to solve a lot of block puzzles. But I just felt like none of the characters seemed to have any sort of inner life. And um, Wesker was well, just... Well, Wesker is a hologram. The, yeah, that's true. He doesn't have an inner life because it's just light. <laughs> what do you do when you're turned off, Wesker? Just hologram shit. <laughs> I don't know. And later on in the series... We do get a different actor who I think does... He, he kind of gets it a bit more. Yeah, th- this isn't quite the representation of Wesker that... I guess uh, we would have wanted. But then the Wesker character has gone through quite a few... Retcons. Yeah, retcons I mean... and iterations. <laughs> Retcon is his middle name. <laughs> yeah, there was, I think, around about this time with Code Veronica and he re-emerged as a villain having been killed off in the first game. And they did this whole thing called Wesker's Report, which was a like an extra short film mm-hmm. piece of sort of filling in the blanks ephemera, which the idea being was in a sort of James Bond, Spectre, Blofeld, I am the architect of all your pain, mm-hmm. decided to make Wesker like the supreme villain who'd been monitoring everything and was responsible for everything rather than just, like, I don't know, some dude. What if he didn't die violently like <laughs> we saw him? <laughs> like, like we saw happened? Well, it was all part of my plan. Very much so. <laughs> does, does seem In the games, at least, he does seem to be the sort of person who, who views a failure as a positive, yeah, exactly. as intentional. Dr. Isaacs wants to go and extract Alice, but Wester needs 100% ID before he can do so. So Isaac secretly manipulates a recording of Wester that he's done in order to confirm an order to go and extract Alice with some umbrella SWAT dudes. I mean, in fairness, 100% using a remote satellite is a, is a, is a big ask <laughs> from Wesker. I would have gone with 60 yeah, he's not happy. He wants a, wants a full hundo. Maybe he just misses the days when the Umbrella Corporation was a skin cream company. <laughs> it's like, you know what? We started this company making moisturiser. Well, now <laughs> that it's all the desert state, we should just focus on sun cream. Mm, yeah. I guess Isaac's, Dr. Isaac 
and Alice's stories sort of intersect here, where um, the convoy, Claire Redfield's convoy, travel to Las Vegas for fuel, and Dr. Isaacs decides to drop these super zombies into the Las Vegas location. And I have to admit, for all the faults I think this film has, like I say, I just I feel it's just a bit of a meh film. I do love this location. I love the Las Vegas strip peeking out of the sands. And I was really impressed in the special in the behind the scenes footage of it's these are models. This is model work. It looks great. Yeah, and they constructed at least, you know, a leg of Eiffel Tower mm. for them to climb up. And it it's it's visually interesting having because it's Las Vegas, you have the world's landmarks all mm. Together in one happy, desolate wasteland. Yeah, they um have that famous... Is it the Rialto Bridge from Venice or something? Uh, Statue of Liberty. Statue Sphinx. of Liberty. <laughs> I can imagine uh, people on their knees in front of the Statue of Liberty going like, You did it! You did it, you bastards! You made Resident Evil Extinction! <laughs> um, <laughs> you damn dirty zombies. Because I guess they're close enough to her now, they can... Now that they've tracked her with satellites, they can log into Alice's vision and, and sort of control her. The sequence when they're watching through Alice's eyes as she goes up the stairs to get them was made me laugh out loud. It reminded me a bit of Eyes of Laura Mars. Mm. That's, yeah. that's a concept I need to see more of. People, <laughs> people viewing this, they're encroaching death. Yeah. But yeah, she makes short work of all the scientists but Dr. Isaacs. I do like Dr. Isaacs in this mode because... Uh, he's in his kind of like desert combat gear and it reminds mm. me of when Ian Glenn was Manfred Powell oh, Tomb Raider. It's, yes. it's very much, I think, echoing back to that. Yeah, I think it's well established that we're big Ian Glenn fans. I very much enjoyed the way he said flesh in this. <laughs> he, 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 it did remind me of his uh, role in Game of Thrones because Alice was very much his Khaleesi. <laughs> um, he goes to the location himself and it's just so he can end up getting bitten by a zombie and I very much enjoyed his reading of the line Get me the antivirus! <laughs> I need the antivirus! And I, I really want to go to Boots and just call out Get me the antivirus! <laughs> Um, it, it's a real pained desperation mm. that he has. It's like a real, like, oh shit! Mm. <laughs> the antivirus! Get me the antivirus! Alice, though, she, she manages to fight her, her being controlled somehow. I guess it's because she's the protagonist. And she goes on a, a murder spree, killing loads of zombies with these uh, blades. But here's the thing she attacks all the zombies everywhere except their brains and um, says there's one shot when she she stabs a zombie in the head but she's just cutting the throats of all these zombies i think the idea is that she is cutting deep enough to sever the spinal column but it mm, never looks like that no it doesn't it it is one of the stronger action sequences in the film though there is a lot going on Lots mm. of people getting attacked and uh, just the fact that the zombies are sort of dropped in in a shipping container is reminiscent of how like Mr. X and Resident Evil 2 is yeah. dropped in by Chopper, etc. There's quite a lot of juicy little spurts and squibs. Yes. And that's... A head gets shot right through and you can see right through it. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was some nice squib work there. But also during the chaos, LJ 
who had previously been bitten by oh, a zombie yeah. in a motel and has been gradually getting worse for wear throughout the entire movie. He has finally turned, and in doing so, he bites Carlos and a bunch of other people in the convoy. They all get murderized. Yeah, I mean, on that, LJ does get attacked by a zombie early on, and he gets bitten, but he hides this from the doctor. But I would, if I was in a convoy and somebody got attacked by a zombie, I would get the doctor to give him a full medical and be like, can I just check your chest or just anywhere which you might have been bitten? He says, oh no, girl, I'm fine. Why doesn't he just even tell everyone, look, I'm going to turn, mm-hmm. keep an eye on me, but I'm useful. Well, as useful as I'll ever be because yeah. he's not very useful. Uh, I mean, there's the, whole, there's the whole cowardice thing, I guess. But also, I, <laughs> you know, it's like, maybe I won't turn. I've only just seen 100% of bitten <laughs> people turn. <laughs> I mean, he starts going grey at one point, And again, you'd think the convoy, Claire Redfield's convoy, would notice... The, the, the symptoms of zombification. We wouldn't like put a hand on his forehead and go, well, maybe it's the flu. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the flu. Well, he explains it was a bad tin of pork and beans. Oh, that's, that's unconvincing. Un- <laughs> unconvincing, mate. <laughs> well, someone else who isn't feeling particularly good mm-hmm. is Dr. Isaacs. Because he, as he said, was bitten, but he was bitten by a super undead. Mm-hmm. And as such... It's the strength of infection has increased and he's mutating rapidly. One of the Umbrella officials, who's been giving him a hard time anyway, played by Matthew Marsden, star of DOA, Dead or Alive. Oh. Yeah, that is definitely a sound of somebody who recognised him from that. (laughs) (laughs) He decides it's time to stop Isaacs in his tracks, but... This is going too far. (laughs) <laughs> you're using up all the t-virus mm, all of our alices <laughs> yeah really got bought few... all those dresses <laughs> we get a proper resident evil style monster if i think resident evil to me is zombies but it's also bosses which are invariably someone who says i'm going to become the ultimate human they stab <laughs> themselves with an injection they get an eyeball out of their shoulder and they got claws, and then we get that here. Um, he he's known as a tyrant in this film. He's not quite a tyrant from the games, but he gets these tentacles coming out of his fingers, and he stabs his uh, colleague in the three most important parts of the head. <laughs> Sorry, nose. <laughs> <laughs> Take that ears. Take that ears. He gets stabs in the eyes and mouth with tentacles. We got something similar in Resident Evil Apocalypse. We got the the um, Nemesis, but I very much enjoyed this creation and the fact that Ian Glenn is clearly under all that uh, dabbing of makeup. Yeah, I, 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 I guess in certain sequences it is a stunt person, but all credit to Ian Glenn that he does go full makeup chair mm. on this and, you know, sports a lot of gruesome stuff on most of his body. I guess his character then, if you're taking a sort of game precedent, is very much like William Birkin in Resident Evil 2. 
you know, some science genius who injects himself with stuff to avoid umbrella heavies and uh, superiors from taking his research. Accidental. I like to, I like to think that um, Wesker calls for an immediate report, and half his body's human, half his body's monster. So he sort of he sidles up to the camera, <laughs> side on. Like report, sort of variety report. act routine, yeah, just re- like turning. <laughs> report, side side. report. So that, um, Everything's fine. <laughs> Sugar, water. <laughs> so, it's all, it's all fine. <laughs> it's going. Great. <laughs> yes, why are you doing doing that thumbs up with a very long gangly thumb? Well, no reason. <laughs> no reason. I went to a football game and they had giant foam fingers. <laughs> Things are going just great down in the lab, but uh, our heroes have uh, decided to go to that lab because they followed um, Dr. Isaac's helicopter there. Fortunately for our heroes, but not so fortunately for the rest of the convoy. There is now just enough people to fit on two helicopters, or <laughs> a helicopter. And so they follow it to the lab and think, let's let's try and get hold of this helicopter to helicopter to Alaska. They they also say that, well, in this facility, they'll have antivirus and they can oh, help Carlos. Carlos has been bitten, yeah. But Carlos was bitten in Resident Evil Apocalypse and they got him antivirus then. So I take oh, it. Oh, it's a the, short-term thing. I take it. Yeah, it's not a permanent cure. It's not like you can take the antivirus and then just get repeatedly bitten, mm. which makes you think that's not a really great antivirus, is it? Yeah, I don't know enough about. I mean, it reminds me. I vaccinate your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of slight spoilers. I guess spoilers for the end of Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade, but they <laughs> they drink from the cup of Christ and that, and which is meant to grant immortal life. But because I slightly misunderstood the rules, I, I kind of felt that meant Indiana Jones was immortal from there on in. And turns out, um, turns out it's not the case because he's uh, he um, he's alive and well to this very day. He is alive and well to this very day. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I kind of I always thought it kind of ruined any drama for any potential Indiana Jones films. But luckily, they never made another one. No, exactly. Mm. What a perfect trilogy. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, Carlos thinks it's better to just sacrifice himself rather than bother around with antiviruses yeah, I, again. I, I actually... He's probably got my favourite death. He's a bit badass. I, I actually found it a bit sad. Like, LJ, he he just... He, he dies like a bitch. <laughs> I mean, he becomes a zombie when he gets shot. It seems really... He, he's obviously not a favourite character of mine. I mean, we, he was kind of problematic in the second film. They he, toned him down for this one a bit. He died as he lived. Like a bitch. Like a bitch. <laughs> um, but uh, I enjoyed Car- I mean, Carlos. I always thought was a very boring character anyway. But the way he drives towards the fence, destroys the fence with his truck. And then as zombies pour into the truck, he sets some dynamite off or something. Yes. Let's but... say dynamite. Yeah. Uh, and he finds a secretly cheekily oh. stashed spliff from LJ. He, he smokes doobie. So he smokes a big weed stick that's what they're <laughs> called and uh blows up a bunch of zombies to kingdom come um <laughs> i was watching this bit of subtitles and when he does cause the truck to fall onto its side he goes fuck and i was just like what did you expect it's <laughs> like oh whoops well he shared a little goodbye kiss with alice beforehand. oh god yeah but i mean 
I had a conversation, my, my missus was watching this with me, and I was like, oh, she's going to get infected. Is Alice immune? Is Alice immune to well, I, I think zombie bites and saliva? I don't know whether she's immune to zombie bites and saliva, because I don't think she gets bit, but the White Queen does explain to her when they meet that her blood is the cure, basically. Her oh, blood yes. can be used to synthesise the cure. So she's probably okay. But she didn't know that when she kissed him. Well, as long as Practice they didn't safe get... sex and kissing kids. As long as they didn't get all kind of, like, lip bitey, it's probably all right. Probably all right. But still, I would recommend, next time you kiss anyone that you don't know, get a condom and wrap it, stretch it over your mouth. <laughs> And kiss them that way. Maybe just ask if they're a zombie or not. Mm. Have you recently been bitten by a zombie? I, yeah, exactly. That's, I think that's that's a perfectly reasonable question to ask. Perfectly reasonable chat up line. Mm. Rather than coming at them with a condom stretched over your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, not on a first date. Not on a first date. Maybe a second. So I think they now can get to the helicopters. They've made enough space to get to the helicopters. And I think one of the heroes is shouting, kids first, kids first, get the kids. And I was like, oh, come on, you can make more kids. (laughs) Leave them behind. They can't drive a helicopter. The thing is, I feel their mission to get the helicopters was kind of a little bit too easy. Like, like the, 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 the quest, if you want to call it the quest, the quest from deciding to go to Alaska to going to Las Vegas to getting a helicopter, yes, they get attacked by zombies and the like, but... Yes, most of them die in the process. Yes, most of them die. <laughs> but it was really but easy. But it's mostly incompetence. For all the survivors, it was straightforward. Yeah. They just had to live. Just throw other people in the way. <laughs> um, I'm not going to team up with you in a zombie apocalypse. No. I'll be the first to go, though. Oh, <laughs> um, Are you volunteering? I'm volunteering for those... T- have you read in the paper those t- those trials for T-virus? Yes, I might turn into a zombie. But more people have, 50 wa- quid. More people have walked on the moon than been a zombie. <laughs> Which is as good a reason as any. Anyway, Alice decides not to go with them. She... I'm trying to remember why... Wants to stop Umbrella? But they seem quite incompetent. I'm sure... <laughs> <laughs> I need to stop this incompetent organisation before the world is destroyed. Well, Dude, I, look around! I think what happens is that she spots the trench of Alice clones. Uh-huh. And that sort of pisses her off. Ooh. <laughs> well, to be fair, maybe she just wants somebody to understand her. And it's like... I want I want a friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate I, other people. I hate all these convoy pricks. <laughs> yeah, I've spent ten minutes with them. Uh, they stink. My boyfriend is dead. They just I don't know. They've got so little chemistry. <laughs> it's like work. Like it's got so little chemistry. They could work for Umbrella. You know what? I watched this yesterday. I just can't remember why she goes down there. Like I just said, the trench of dead. Treasure de- what? Trench, trench <laughs> yeah, she's like, analysis. what the fuck's this? Yeah. <laughs> Hang the- on! <laughs> I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Mm. Literally by taking the elevator down to Hive 2.0 and she basically encounters your by-the-numbers destroyed facility with mm. bloody handprints on the walls and sparks flying and for some reason lots of spikes 
Lots of people have been impaled on spikes, yeah. which was a bit Event Horizon-esque, I think, how it looked. But itchy. it was also like, where did all the spikes come from? Hmm? Is that lab from equipment? The, you know, the spike department <laughs> of the labs. But she meets the White Queen and says, I knew your sister. She was a homicidal bitch. Mm-hmm. The White Queen says, we can synthesize a cure using your blood. And the facility has the equipment to do so. But That's I will... a soda stream. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. <laughs> <laughs> that's a neutral bullet <laughs> they sort of cut a deal so she has to stop tyrant Isaacs and uh, she'll allow her to use all the equipment and as the script probably said they fight <laughs> and indeed you know they sort of fly through walls and bits mm-hmm. and pieces from you know the opening of the movie and she... by that token the start of the first film so yeah they go back to the old uh, mansion style facility and end up in that uh uh, laser corridor and um, again it's just it's just a bit of business isn't it gosh I sound very enthusiastic <laughs> don't I I will admit I really do enjoy the monster and and um, William I, again I was going to say William Birkin Dr. Isaac's talking about how he's so great <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm great <laughs> smash I'm brilliant smash for so long I thought you were the future I was wrong. I am the future. <laughs> You're just another asshole. And we're both going to die down here. So, yeah, they have a bit of psychic battling and end up in the laser corridor and they activate the lasers slices through tyrant Isaacs but stops just before it hits Alice because an Alice clone mm. which she punctured and woke up through a big wibbly they, orb they, yeah they're floating in these big watery wombs or something Alice re- real Alice Original Alice. Mm-hmm. Original o- te- original flavour Alice. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, new Alice. Mm-hmm. This does give Mila Jovovich yet another opportunity to wake up confused and dazed, wet, naked. Mm. Which she does in pretty much every movie. Or at least in at least half of the Resident Evil movies. So new Alice and old Alice can now team up. Multipass. We have <laughs> a shot moving back of... The facility. Of hundreds of Mila's. And they decide to continue the testing. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do tune into um, Umbrella Tokyo mm-hmm. facility and basically just tell Wester via the aid of Hologram that they're coming for them. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I've got an army of Miliovich's. <laughs> Ooh, I'm scared. Yeah, that was her exact message. <laughs> Again, the Resident Evil films, they love their cliffhangers and... It's one of those, I how guess, the hell are they going to resolve this yeah. now that they have hundreds of Alice's? I mean, I'm not really chomping at the bit to see a massive clone army, but... Clearly, I get... no, nor were the filmmakers based <laughs> on what happens in the next film, but yeah. that's for a future episode. But I guess perhaps as influenced as Paul W.S. Anderson was by Mad Max... He had just seen Attack of the Clones. <laughs> and he thinks, I know what I'll do. I want to have a big clone army. I mean, I think literally that does tally with the years. 
But just, I, it does feel the film just kind of ends. The our heroes, the the convoy, Claire Redfield's convoy, they fly to Alaska, but we don't know if they even if there's anything there yet. Alice kind of has got an army of clones, but it's not like she. It's not like it's like impulse purchasing some clones. Like she didn't really go in there wanting clones, but now she's got some. And doesn't know what to do with all oh, of them. No. What would you do if you found a room full of your own clones, Rory? Or what happened when you went <laughs> when you did that? When you did that, I would um, become a magician and claim I could teleport. Ah, I can't. That's, that's a <laughs> reference to something. I'll be a one-man human centipede, <laughs> figure of eight. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourselves? Nobody's watching. <laughs> But you're doing it by your own volition. Where are you in this ring? I'd forget which one I was. <laughs> but why put yourself through that? I'll tell you next episode. I'll tell you the next edition of Resident Evil. Jesus Christ. Mm. <sighs> so, I mean... Well, I'd, I'd say it ends strong. But when I mean strong, I mean I liked the cover of White Rabbit, the Jefferson Airplane song, which opened the credits in uh-huh. a sort of industrial music styly I, uh, bizarrely i think this film is is certainly more competently made than some of the resident evil films to come and maybe even more competently made than the last resident evil film but i feel... oh no it's definitely more competently <laughs> made than resident evil apocalypse yeah this feels just like a sci-fi original movie but with a bigger budget where they sort of spin their wheels for, for long enough to give us like 80 something minutes of film. Yeah. As I say, a bit of a shrug for this, for the end of the world. <laughs> How about yourself? Yeah. I, I, it's, it's because it takes a while for all those stories to come together, as you say. And once it does, it does pick up a bit, I think, because you get the Las Vegas scene and then, you know, the sort of infiltration of the base, and I quite like the tyranty stuff at the end. But it's just not really much fun. It's not as silly as Apocalypse, which is, by all accounts, a worse film. Mm. But it's a bit more watchable, because it's sort of really schlocky and hokey. I talk about Apocalypse is more watchable. Yeah. Yeah, nah, definitely. I feel this film is okay. Mm-hmm. Having not watched the other Resident Evil films since seeing them for the first time, at least the ones to come, I haven't rewatched. I get the impression that those feel more samey. Maybe they're more consistent, but I feel maybe they sort of like coalesce into one. Yeah, I, do, at least I, I with, can't think of where one ends and the other one begins, to be honest, yeah. At least the first three films are pretty distinct. Mm. They have a distinct look and feel and this film is passable mm-hmm. i mean i said earlier i think i think this might be my least favorite resident evil movie but do you get a sense of where where you'd place it in a ranking i'd have to see the other ones mm. i have a feeling that maybe four is one of the better ones so i'm looking forward to revisiting that but i think what this has over the other ones for now at least is the saving grace of having a lot more Ian Glenn 
<laughs> oh yes. And he might be surrounded by poor performances elsewhere, but what he's doing in those moments is the kind of slightly underplayed but still ripe mm-hmm. and a bit juicy mm. performance that I think he does very well and he's a proper boo hiss villain when he like lets these scientists get eaten and just like sort of <laughs> yeah, the door shuts on them and he just adjusts his collar and yeah, as walks as away zomb- as soon as a zombie escapes in the lab he is out of that room <laughs> quicker <laughs> than anything and immediately closes the door behind him the twat <laughs> yeah but that's what you want from a villain mm. and I think that's what is the film's uh, strongest asset well um, I'm sure we will return to the world of Resident Evil, no matter what state it's in, um, in not too distant future. But what are we going to be doing next, pray tell? Our next film on the slate, it being October, I guess we're doing a few horror films, even though we probably end up doing horror films most of the time anyway. But it's October, it's spooky month, and we've started that off with Resident Evil Extinction, and we're going back to the bowl well. We are tackling... Blood Rain, starring Tristana Loken, who we've mentioned before in in various capacities. And I guess there's a new Terminator movie coming out. Mm. She played a Terminator once. There's your link. There's your link. Uh, Yes, so we'll be tackling star-studded Uwe Boll vampire movie, the start of its own trilogy. Yes. Jeez, we've got three of those to get through. I'm bizarrely really in a vampire mood at the moment, so I actually can't wait. Well... Blood Rain is next up on Games on Film. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more about the podcast and video game movies in general, you can visit our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast, or you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, at gamesonfilmpod. You can contact us, email us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com, or you can find us individually on Twitter too. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Harry, do you have anything to plug? Um, I'm still doing my Starship and Generation Instagram reviews. I lost my phone for a bit, which is a lovely digital detox, but um, I now have it back. So just look for the hashtag, make it so only man who can. Torturous. Mm-hmm. Is anyone else using that hashtag? No. <laughs> Wow. Bizarrely, Instagram um, mutes any episode of The Next Generation which has a, a large amount of nudity in it. <laughs> which um, There's an episode called The Naked Now, and if you search the hashtag, you won't find The Naked Now review because it thinks I'm being a pervert. Well, no, I'm just watching Star Trek. That's kind of its own perversion. <laughs> it's a bit of it's an obsession. And uh, you can look up Gamer Disco for music and club nights uh, in and around London. So uh, look up Gamer Disco on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can find out more about upcoming events where you can play games and listen to music. Fun. Fun. Well, it's been a a pleasure talking about it, about Resident Evil as always. I I still think the back of the box was maybe the most exciting thing. Blimey, I'm looking forward to the back of the box of the next film. It's (laughs) it's like, that's what I'm looking forward to. (laughs) So thanks very much for listening. I've been Harry. And I've been Rory. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.